Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Julie Wilkinson, and I'm the owner and founder of Wilkinson Accounting Solutions. We're an accounting and consultancy firm that specialise in mergers and acquisitions. We act as acquisitions CFOs that help people buy businesses, and we also help on exit planning. The reason I started the podcast uh, was because I wanted to give general tips and guidance to entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking to sell their business or looking to grow by acquisition. And I'm really excited today to have Jamie Simpson with us. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. So just a bit of background of why we've brought Jamie onto the show. So Jamie, well, had lots of different jobs back in the day, but um, his, his, I suppose his entrepreneurial journey started when he he was a taxi driver and he ended up expanding that into becoming a company and managed to systemize it and went traveling. So that was back in 2011. And then Whilst running his business, started business consulting because he because he had systemized and traveled. Obviously, other business owners were like, oh, my God, I want a piece of that. Um, and then what's really exciting was in 2020, he actually completed, uh, his, I suppose, his first M&A journey. So he bought six hairdressers, which is what we're going to focus on today. And since then, has obviously been consulting and doing lots of acquisitions. So I think it's really interesting. You're going to be able to give some great guidance, I think, for our listeners today, Jamie. So I'll hand over to you to, you know, expand a bit about yourself. Perfect. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, so I'm Jamie Simpson. I'm based in the southeast of England. Uh, I'm a non-exec and business consultant for small businesses, SMEs. Um, I currently got a portfolio of three companies and at heads of terms with two others. So would like to think that'd be closer to seven or eight by the end of this year. Oh, brilliant. So uh, lots of people have got ambitions for that. So, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few things I think we could delve into today because there's the systemization of how you've got the business to run without you. But I did want to focus on these six hair salons. So. Did you acquire all six in one go? Yeah, in about four months. Okay. So they wasn't... It was manic. So they wasn't in a group themselves. They were all individuals, were they? So you had two... Two salons were owned by two different sellers. So that's four. And then two independents to get it up to the six. And why did you choose to do so many? What made you go down the route did you had intentions of doing it or did it just kind of land in front of you opportunity um i literally saw an opportunity with lockdown people were looking to i think lockdown made a lot of people realize that they probably didn't enjoy what they were doing um and a lot of people were enjoying time at home uh, probably because the weather was nice at the time um so they were looking to get out of their business so i utilized the bounce back loans in order to fund the initial consideration in order to get the transactions over the line uh, once i'd done a couple i realized there was more of an appetite out there for that kind of transaction for people to exit the business so i just put my my foot on the pedal and, and did six in about four months <laughs> so blimey so what made you go into the hair? Was it because you just saw a gap in that market? Is that what made you go into the hair salon specifically? Yeah, 
I'd like to take credit and say I, I was sat there one day and I thought this was an amazing opportunity. I think I saw someone else do it. I think I saw someone else buy a hair salon uh, using a bounce back loan. And I took inspiration from that uh, when I did a little bit of research on the industry. Uh, I'm not the biggest expert on hair salons, as you can probably tell by my hairstyle. Um, so what I did is I found an industry expert while I was working on the transactions. And then once the transactions are over the line, I put an industry expert in as MD to run the businesses for me. And um, because you used the bounce back loan, I mean, was that quite easy to get the funding? There wasn't really any, was there, there no real due diligence on that funding at that time? Well, no, because I didn't use the bounce back loans. The Everyone took out a bounce back loan at the time because the whole purpose with the bounce back loan was to give you security um, with the uncertainty in the future. So the majority of these owners had the bounce back loan that they'd already taken out. So there was no due diligence in place because the the drawdown facility was already there in place. So I said to them, why don't we use those funds to give you your initial consideration? And then when the business transfers over to myself, the liability transfers as well through limited company. So basically you use the cash from the loan to fund the upfront payment on the acquisition. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. And but because the loan was already taking out prior to yeah. myself coming on board, there was no due diligence for the financial aspect from myself. No, because the money was already in the business. Yeah. Which is actually quite clever. I mean, exactly. people are, I mean, that's a standard. I mean, the fact that your that money came from their loan, um, lots of people do acquisitions using the cash in the business. I mean, that just happened to appear from the loan, I suppose. There's not much cash in the bank for hair salons because <laughs> they are more lifestyle businesses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well... Well, that's a whole other. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I won't be on that one. So you bought the six. So what did you find was a good point about the acquisition? What did it? So did you find after you bought it, as an example, the fact that you used the money from the business to buy it? Did you ever find that a problem afterwards? Was there any cash flow problems? Uh, so I'd say my experience of the salons was about eighty percent negative, twenty percent positive, um, because I'd systemized my own business so well and it was a well-oiled machine. I inherited six businesses that weren't well-oiled machines and I could only be in one place at a time. Um, hair salons as well, quite a high maintenance industry um, and they're very, customers are very loyal to, to staff. So staff have kind of got a lot of power over the owners and the management. So yeah, it was a complete learning curve for me. In regards to the finance, I never had any issues post-transaction um, simply because it was a, a bounce back loan so it was repaid over 10 years with a small amount of interest so from a cash flow perspective it wasn't too bad to service but once you combine that with a deferred consideration element as well it did sometimes it got a bit tricky and because I was um, quite new to the business acquisition world um, I didn't protect myself in certain areas so one salon for example opened up a home salon uh, which was nine miles radius away, hence why they gave an eight mile um, non-compete <laughs> and they took all the clients oh. with them. Uh, but because I had deferred deferred consideration in place, I could kind of control that situation as well. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, when I did my acquisition, we put a clause in our, uh, well, I did an asset sale, not a share sale, but we put a clause in our asset agreement that says they couldn't mm. transact for three years after the after the deal closed. Yeah. So yeah, so that's interesting. Okay, so... Yeah. Eight, so I, I use something completely different now. So instead of using a non-compete, because what you'll find is a judge will um, usually side with in favour of the person that's looking to earn a living um, and they will overrule your non-compete. So what I like to use now is a compete and say you're you're more than entitled to take customers, you're more than entitled to to take the work away, uh, but you have to give us 80% of the revenue for each customer oh, yeah. for up to five years. 
And if they decline that, then you say, well, are you going to take the customers? Um, and if they don't decline that and they end up taking your customers, it's more of a, a um, corporation transaction that they've agreed to rather than a um, human HR uh, contracts that yeah. a judge can overrule so it's quite right. clearly in black and white and it's seen more in your favor yeah that's interesting yeah yeah that's a clever one mm. so did you know when you bought the hair salons that they wasn't ran very well did you have any idea or were you not really sure did you not know <sighs> i tend to find the more that they went out of the way to tell me how well they were run i kind of guess they weren't run that well yeah. <laughs> because the if it's if a business is run well they could just show you up-to-date numbers, up-to-date financials, up-to-date staff organization charts. If you're not receiving them up front, um, that's a huge red flag. So I kind of knew that they were not running at optimum, but I, in hindsight, I would say they were borderline distressed. Oh, right. Well, not necessarily just financially, you mean actually just maybe operationally? Yeah, I'll give you one example. So you've got a, a manager of a salon, um, our biggest salon, turned over half a million a year. Um, she was the main stylist in the business who brought in the most revenue to the business. She was working on the Monday when the salon was shut doing admin instead of bringing in the revenue with her being the highest charging stylist. So little things like that. And because she was contracted in, I couldn't change that. So due diligence is great, but you have to know what you're looking for. And that only comes with experience or you can pay for the privilege of someone doing the due diligence for you, like yourselves from a financial element, um, to protect yourselves moving forward. Yeah, because there are, I mean, the fact is, I don't believe there's really any SME business that's perfect. I mean, we see like about 100 balance sheets a month and none of them ever reconcile. And generally 95% of SMEs are owned operated. So no deals would ever go through if you want everything to be 100%. But I do think you can, you can plan better than some people do. So like, for instance, in that scenario, when we do our operational diligence, one of the key things we try to look at for people is like, what's the risk? So in that scenario, as an example, if you needed, if, if you know, you'd bring a HR person on board, then you'd look at the risk and you'd start building the budgets in to make sure the cash flow was built to say, well, how quick am I going to be able to grow the growth strategies if I can't bring an extra person to work on the Monday, as an example? And, in, and you might be able to bring another person in to cover that Monday, but then that's an extra cost and things like that. So um, I don't think you can ever get away from it because at the end of the day, the businesses are around how they are. And if you want to take the opportunity, sometimes you just got to go for it. But you can have contingencies built in, in terms of, number because i just think the main thing is the cash flow at the end of the day if the business has cash you can grow it if it hasn't got any cash you can't really grow it so as long as you've got money you can you've got opportunity it's the way i see it anyway yeah let's not forget i i had zero downside here i was yeah. using the bounce back loans as the initial consideration and a deferred element moving forwards yeah. so i kind of not overlooked due diligence but there was zero downside for me so I was happy to take the risk get in there find out what the situation was once I was in there and rectify it and ultimately I was able to do that for all six package them up and sell them so yeah it was a good learning curve one that I got paid for rather than paying for yeah <laughs> yeah so how long did you have them for before you sold them six months all right so you literally did Not buy, <laughs> you literally did sort of buy, consolidate, build, and then exit. Yeah, that- just rolled them up, um, increased the profits, put in a marketing strategy, put them under one umbrella, gave them all, all a lick of paint, um, and then sold them off to one buyer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and in the end, well, I suppose the hard work was worth it then in the end, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
I quickly realised I didn't like the industry yeah. um, and it wasn't for me. So I thought I need an exit strategy. What's the quickest way to do that? Um, so yeah, it was all about just making the numbers more attractive, tidying up the books, uh, putting in a few systems and processes of which show KPIs of which I could show a potential buyer uh, and then offloading them for, for a nice profit. Yeah. And then, uh, and it's good. And so then after that, so once you sold that, you still had this tax, because have you still got the taxi business now? Is that still a, business, a company of yours? You know, the one you built? No, I, I exited that to to the guy that was operating it for me. Oh, uh, okay. So after the hairdressers then, where did you go from there? Did you do start doing more acquisitions quite quickly? Uh, I took a year off to do a bit of consulting because I've had um, a couple of babies in quick succession. Um, so I really wanted to just be around and enjoy that experience because I didn't need to work. Uh, but I was working on a few deals in the background, but definitely not being a motivated buyer. It had to be the perfect deal. Um, and since then, yeah, I just did quite a bit of consulting um, and I've just taken equity in free companies uh, to help them grow. Okay. And is that kind of what you specialise in now then? Is it work, like taking equity to help other, acquis- well, other business owners or acquisitions rather than just doing your own full acquisitions? Uh, I do a bit of both, but because I do that and it pays a, a really good wage, if you like, and I've got interest in free business and there's three different lots of problems to solve every day to keep me busy. I really, really enjoy that. I like helping other people as well, get a kick from that. Um, but it means I'm not desperate to just go and buy any old business. Yeah. Um, so it works quite well. So as I say, I'm at heads of terms with two other companies at the minute, which are a lot larger than I've previously done. Um, but I can take my time with those. I could do due diligence on those. I can stress test those. Um, and I'm not motivated to to push it through my end simply so I can get some income coming in. So I'm enjoying the process and I'm, I'm very picky. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so what I think would be interesting for people, if we take it all the way back to when you were a taxi driver, I mean, how did you transition from sort of being, I mean, I don't know the, your full background history, but, you know, it's quite inspiring for people, isn't it, that you were a taxi driver and built that into a company and that was your first company. So how did you make that transition? Well, I didn't want a job um, and I had zero qualifications or skill sets or anything like that. So um, I become a taxi driver because then I could work my own hours and work for myself. I'm not, us business owners, we're not very good at working for ourselves, you see. Um, So I had a vehicle which at the back folded down with a ramp so you could transport wheelchair users and people used to take the mick out of that. And I thought this was a great opportunity because no one else is doing this. Um, so I started targeting local care homes and uh, local council saying I offer this service and the demand was overwhelming. So I got three or four other drivers in, some regular contracts, subbed out the, the regular contracts to, to my regular drivers at the set times each week, make sure they are in touch with each other, put in a non-compete um, so I didn't need to worry. And then I went and travelled Australia, Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, quite a bit of Europe. Um, over a three, four, five year period uh, while the business was earning me a very, very good income. Oh, wow. And how long do you think it took you to sort of bring in those drivers and sort of systemise it to allow you to travel? Well, I watched a film called The Thomas Crown Affair with Piers Brosnan um, and I thought I want to be a businessman. So I thought I'll own my own taxi, I'll charge a premium for doing this work that I'm doing, it's earning me a good living. And then I watched that film and I thought, no, I want to be a businessman. So I started reading a few books on business and you need to own uh, a business that earns money while you're not working if you want real wealth. Um, So I thought, how can I put that model together? And then I had a few contracts on at the same time, on the same day. So obviously I can't do both jobs. 
So I subcontracted out one job um, and then I had other jobs come in and I thought the margin I was making on these jobs, I'm better off just outsourcing it anyway and not working. And over a period of about a year or so, I had all these jobs that are delegated to different drivers and putting the systems and processes to make sure they were arriving on time, customers were happy, uh, payroll was being made, etc. Um, and that freed me up to go, to go and travel. All right. And did you find in that growth, because sometimes we see if, if people want to make that transition, sort of bring other people in, sometimes their profits drop. Because obviously a lot of business owners are taking a certain amount of money and they need a certain amount of money from the business. Did you ever find when you were in that growth that it had to drop a little bit to then improve the future? I found that when I was traveling, I never earned more money. Right. And that's why I started consulting because people were seeing that I was doing better than ever while I was in different countries. Uh, But when I wasn't involved in the business and I systemized the business, um, the business really took off, to be honest with you. All right. And and do you think, and so was you involved in any of like decisions in the business? Did you have like an MD or anything that ran it for you or who sort of made the business decisions? Uh, I did, but they were quite... I made the final decisions, but I also empowered the staff to make key decisions as well. Um, So for example, I taught them how to price. Um, I taught them about availability. So don't have two jobs too close to each other. If you get stuck in traffic, then you might not make the job. Try and maneuver the job to a half an hour gap in between. So I just educated my staff over a a certain period, enabled them to make key decisions. And then maybe I'll check in once a week and say, what were the problems this week? What can we learn from them? And how can we change that moving forwards? And I'd also do that with the um, clients as well and see what problems they were having, if any, and tweak that accordingly. And over three to six months, you could really iron out all the problems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's really good. So, I do, that do you have my businesses now? Yeah. Now that you're going for bigger businesses, do you find they run a bit better than some of like the hairdresser scenarios? Is that one of your? Is that something you look for when you're buying now? That like they want them to be more, I suppose, independently ran. Well, do you know what they they because they were turnarounds. Um, I quite enjoy turnarounds. They are hard work, and they but they can be quite lucrative. So, a good example of just yesterday. I had a guy contact me. He's got a fire security and alarm business. Uh, it's got £400,000 worth of debt, £15,000 a month worth of debt repayment. And their turnover is only like 700000 Complete mess. Absolute basket case of a business. But because I've got the skill sets and the contacts now, I know I can turn that around, um, take a percentage in the company and a monthly management fee and help him grow the company. So it is of interest to me as long as I've got someone else that's there as an operator. Um, whereas before I was the main person, although I put in an MD, I got all the headaches. But if you can solve people's problems and they're willing to stay on, um, I do enjoy that and they can be quite lucrative. But at the same time yesterday, I signed heads of terms for a three million turnover industrial door company. Um, and that's got uh, key members of staff. Uh, it's got operations director, sales director, etc. So you are paying a premium to have that staff organization in place. Um, and for the business to run better without you. And by implementing the same distress techniques, they actually help accelerate the profit of these healthy companies as well. So they do overlap, but every day is different. Yeah, yeah. So, and do you find that is one of the criteria, do you put a finance department into some of these companies? Yeah, it really depends on the business. Uh, I use an accountant uh, for a lot of the work. 
Um, but sometimes if there is a bit of a, a, a niche industry or a, a specialist transaction, I will bring in external help. Um, but a lot of these companies already do have their own, not finance team, but fi admin, finance admin, if you like. Um, and once you put in the KPIs and a reporting mechanism, you kind of um, could tailor those accordingly to fit into how we like to see our dashboards for the business. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what's your future then? I mean, are you working, do you work in specific industries now or are you, are you open to any industry? I'm open to any industry, but I'm really enjoying working with um, tradesmen turned business owners because they're very specialist in what they do. So we've got a, a share in an air conditioning company. Uh, we've got a share in a reactive maintenance company. They're very skilled on the tools, but because they've been honing those skills for the last 10, five years, whatever they've been doing, they've not had the time to learn the business skills. So they don't understand the, the benefits of monthly management accounts, cash flow forecasts, um, how to actually price for margin instead of going on their gut feeling. So there's a lot of quick wins there that you can implement while working with them at an early stage. That adds a lot of value to their business, which builds trust. And then you can work together to grow the business long term. So I'm really enjoying that side of things at the minute. Brilliant. So if some, so we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. I mean, so if anyone's looking uh, or might need your support, what what's, what sort of thing would you help with and where can they find you? Yeah, so I do business turnarounds. Um, turnover has to be a minimum of 500,000, 1 million ideally, but I quite enjoy them. Uh, if we can save a business and then not just save it, but take it up a few levels. I really enjoy that. And I also buy HVAC and electrical companies with 1 million plus turnover. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Jamie Simpson, uh, growth specialist. Um, and my website's jamiesimpson.co.co. And that's where you can find me, guys. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. And thanks to our listeners. I hope you enjoy the Building Exit podcast. We've got loads more shows coming up soon. And um, if you like our channel, hit the subscribe on YouTube or leave us an Apple rating and review. And, and I hope to see you again soon. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon.